Samuel. Cuts it back. Ohio State wins. I put my heart in God. Let's go, man. That is as good as it gets. I represent me in this issue. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Early on the field, a touchdown is confirmed. Fourth and two now. You've got to get two yards. I don't know. I don't think so. No way. Kentucky wins. All right, welcome to the Peace of Mind Podcast. Thanks for joining us on this special bonus episode we got coming for you guys. Uh, you're in for a real treat because we got a special friend of the podcast and our first guest athlete. He's entering his ninth year in the NFL, former Atlanta Falcons and current Arizona Cardinals defensive tackle, Corey Peters. You can check him out on Twitter at CoreyPeters91. That's at C-O-R-E-Y Peters91 and Instagram at CoreyPeters98. Corey, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate you coming out on the, onto the pod and hanging out with us. How's everything going with you in your offseason? Uh, everything is perfect, man. I'm just enjoying some downtime and I'm um, just really taking some time to enjoy my family and, and rest, try to recover a little bit. <laughs> Corey, one question like, I feel like a lot of people have because the majority of us are not NFL athletes. What does your offseason look like? Well, uh, so we finished up the season uh, the end of 2018. I think our last game was the 31st of December. Um, so ever since then, you know, I just been kind of sleeping in and traveling <laughs> a little bit, eating a little bit and, um, really just trying to give my body, uh, time to recover. Um, the most exercising I do is I do, um, some spinning, um, some hiking out here. They got a lot of great trails and, um, mountains to, to kind of walk. And, um, that's kind of what I do for my exercise. But other than that, you know, uh, just traveling with my family, um, and just kind of spending some time, um, you know, during the season, it's just very hectic. Um, and the time, uh, the time gets away from you sometimes and the time that you do have, you're, you're very tired. So, um, when I have some free time, I try to, you know, make sure I'm conscious of spending as much time as I can with my family. Do um, you, uh, during the season, what do you get one day off? Um, if well, that. yeah, yeah. Tuesday is, is generally our day off. Um, a lot of teams, if you win on Sunday, they'll give you Monday off too. Um, really? But, nice. Uh, yeah, we call it Victory Mondays. We didn't see a lot of those last year, but, <laughs> but hopefully there'll be more in the future. So, like, and I've seen, you know, there was this big hoopla with the Giants and, and going to Miami during the season, like right before the playoff games and stuff, but how often is it that people actually, you know, if you get that, that Monday and Tuesday break, how often is it that people just get up and travel during the week? It's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, I, I don't think that a lot of people really, you know, will take um, major trips, you know, at that time, but you know, a lot of, some of the young players are a little wild, you know, and they'll <laughs> get off and, and do their own thing, but I wouldn't recommend that. You know, it's all good. I mean, I, I feel like responsible players are kind of really focused and locked in on, you know, the season and, and that kind of grind. And even though we're off, you know, I use that time to kind of start preparing for the next opponent. Right. Probably a smart thing to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's probably the more responsible thing. And You know, I, I have heard stories of guys, you know, shooting off to, to Vegas or to Miami or just depending on what city they are to, I guess, try to have a little fun. How many years you've been in the league? Um, so I played uh, five years with 
Atlanta, and this will be my fifth year out here this year. So this will be my tenth year. Would you say it gets easier, easier. or harder the the longer you play? I think it's it, it's actually kind of amazing how it happens. You know, um, when you're younger, you have more energy, um, but you don't know anything. So you know, you work a lot harder. I'm not gonna say you work harder than you have to, but sometimes you you learn easier ways to do things, better ways to do things. Um, at this point, things are are very efficient for me, and um, I'm able to um, kind of streamline the process. So although I'm not as well, I don't have as much energy as I did when I'm when I was younger. I'm a lot smarter. My understanding's at a, a much better level. So um, it, it's just like anything else. So when you're out there on the field, um, if you want to look at it this way. When you're 21, 22, that's about as uh, strong as you're going to be. As healthy as you're going to be. You know, right. Yes. So when you look at <laughs> guys that are over 30 that are still playing in the league, obviously they can't physically keep up with these young guys, but they understand their or their level of understanding is at a level where, you know, they see things faster, they can process things faster, and it allows them to play faster. So what you lose in speed and quickness and that sort of thing, you kind of pick up in understanding and efficiency. That makes sense. I know that we, you know, we discussed a little bit beforehand before coming on the show, but just to give our audience some insights, we we want to talk to you a little bit about your combine experience, um, some other things that you're doing in the off season, previous times playing football in college and, and your first time around in the pros, and then wrap it up with just some, uh, some things that you're doing um, outside of football, as well as we're definitely going to have you on our Mount Rushmore segment here this year or this week and, and have you talk about that. But I, I do want to kind of bring up the, the combine, and I think that Kevin Kevin and I have spun off a few questions, but I do think Kevin has a great question to start with just to give some of our audience an insight of you know the experience of the combine as well as just like, take us behind the scenes as to like what happens there yeah like most of us watch on tv and all you see is the you see is the the highlights of the 40 yard dash or some kid bench pressing or you see a little bit of the drills with receivers and quarterbacks but what's the what's the real combine experience like like were you nervous were you excited was it a blur did it take forever was it a miserable experience um for me it was a it was a pretty miserable experience i mean it was a Definitely a lot different than I expected and rough. I mean, obviously, you're going to have um, the nerves and, you know, all those things that go into it, coming into a situation, you know, preparing for uh, the biggest job interview of your life, you know, something you've been working towards for, you know, years and years, ever since, you know, I guess, Little League football. Um, and then you get there, and it's really um, – you know, the I think the most important thing for NFL teams is the medical aspect of the combine um, and then the opportunity to interview and kind of get a, a gist of what type of person you are. And um, and then teams will take that opportunity to um, ask any questions that, you know, kind of come up during their, I guess, their, you know, due diligence period when they're kind of looking, researching you or whatever. Um, but for me, you know, getting to Indianapolis, they wake you up really early for a drug tests. There's so many people there that they have, they have to start, you know, they have to start so early and then they have to give everybody a physical, anything, anything that you uh, 
anything that was wrong with you in college, you can be sure that they're going to, you know, have an MRI on it, have an X-ray on it, um, and completely just uh, pull and pride on you. And if you weren't sore before, you'll be sore um, by the time that they're done with it. So, um, you know, the first few days, it's just a full process of um, medical testing, a lot of hurry up and waiting, um, MRIs, uh, going to the different rooms and letting each team doctor kind of take a look at you or whatever they want to check out. Um, for me, I was coming off of a shoulder injury, so uh, something that everybody wants to take a look at and um, everybody wanted scans of or whatever, and obviously nobody trusts anybody else's <laughs> information. So right. every team want to kind of have their own look and their own doctors, you know, put their hands on you and test you out. So when you um, say when you say every team, was that every team that wanted to every team that wanted to interview interview you or or give you a physical or was that every team in the league? Okay, so the way they do it, and I'm not sure if this is still the same. This is you know ten years ago. Uh, they'll put you know a certain amount of teams in one room, for instance. Okay, and just say I, I, it's not necessarily by divisions, but say they're going to put the NFC East in the room. So you're going to have the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, and the Eagles in there. And then they're going to bring you in and they're going to say, okay, this is A.J. Nance. A.J. Nance went to Kentucky. He had a knee injury and this year. He had a shoulder injury this year. Boom, boom, boom. You're going to stand there. You're going to take your shirt off or whatever. And they're going to come up and put their hands on you and uh, test, you know, test your knee, test your shoulder, anything they want to look at. Basically, a a regular orthopedic exam, you know. Right. So if you had a, if you're coming off of an ACL, for instance, which is a major injury, and you see a lot of those, you know, they're gonna test that knee out, make sure that it's, you know, whatever it is. So if you're not 100%, you know, you probably need to say that so that you know they can kind of understand I'm not there, you know. But if you're claiming to be 100%, they're gonna mm -hmm. see. And then you kind of go from room to room, so you may only have to do four rooms, but any team. I mean, I'm not sure how many rooms, but any team that wants to take a look at you, you're going to come into their room, and they will have that option. Right. So does this all take place the day that you're also going to do the testing, or how many days before, uh, like your measurements and your testing, does this take place? So um, I don't remember the exact format, but I do know that, you know, the combine, I think I was there for four days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't test on the field until – Probably the second or third day, right? I feel like our last day. You know, I feel like after we tested, we we tested in the morning on the field, and then I feel like most of us headed out that that evening. So Generally. you so during this time, do you do you do your physical, and do you do your interviews at this time? Okay, so during the first few days, it's all physicals, medical tests, academic style testing, psychology testing. Um, you know, think about like you hear about the Wonderlick test. Right. You, there's lots of different tests. You know, all oh, the weird tests. Oh, how many? Sh what shapes fit? You know, just the most <laughs> random, random tests. So um, you spend the time doing that the first couple of days, and then you you probably test uh, bench bench press. We tested before we did the rest of the field stuff. Um, you know, you got to take a concussion test. Uh, all of those different types of uh, things and then uh, also you you understand that this is the next wave of players coming into an NFL so I think it's a good opportunity for the teams to get 
um, a baseline on everything, you know. Right. Um, so by the time you get to the testing, I mean, you're really exhausted because, you know, you've been up late. You've been up early and up late. Um, it's a stressful situation. You're trying to put your best face for, face on. Um, and then every evening um, leading up to that last day, um, you'll get a list of teams that, that want to meet with you. And you'll go to um, – it's at a hotel. So generally there are hotel rooms that have been kind of converted to, well, there'll be a TV in there and just a whole bunch of chairs, basically. Just meeting space? Right. And um, opportunity for you. You'll come in and say, hey, oh, um, AJ, you're going to be meeting with the Cardinals. And you come in. They basically just sit you down with some tape of you at Kentucky and y'all go through it. And that was one thing that I found really interesting and um, kind of nerve wracking because different organizations had clearly different styles as far as um, they approached these meetings. I, I probably had seven of seven or eight of these meetings. They're each about 15 minutes. So you come in sometimes and it's all your highlights. And they just talking about the good stuff like, oh, man, you made you look great right here. This, 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 whatever. And then sometimes you come in and it's all it's like the worst plays of your four year college career. And they're asking, um, <laughs> you know, what, what what's going on right here? What, what are you doing here? What's your responsibility? My but, worst um, place definitely would have been well, much longer than fifteen minutes. <laughs> so, but I want to—I wanted to ask this: Do you think that the the academic testing and the logic tests, and then paired up with like the mindset of we're going to play your worst plays throughout your college career, is that just a test to see how you respond? Because they know how stressful the life of an NFL player is going to be, so they just want to see how you handle it and how you deal with it. Well, I think that you know, with the tape, absolutely. You know, it's a it's a a job that. You know, they expect you to to be responsible and accountable for your play. You know, so I think it's important to kind of see how you deal with situation where you're not playing your best ball. And, you know, over the nine years that I've been in the league, you know, there's been lots of instances where I don't like that play or, you know, I didn't do a good job on that play. So I think it's important to be able to to stand up in front of the room and say, you know, yeah, that's that's not a good job. And, you know, I have to be better than that. Um, but I think, you know, playing in college, at any major program, you're going to experience your fair share of that. So you should be, I mean, well, I, I'm not going to say that. Some guys take it better than others. Um, so, and I'm sure there's some there's some athletes that are probably like, you quote unquote, the stars of the team that probably don't get criticized right. that much. Or maybe they've been coddled a little bit. Right. I, I, obviously, you're going to have those guys, you know. And, I think of guys like Johnny Manziel, who probably got a rude awakening coming into the league. <laughs> You know, I think that youth coaches probably did him a little bit of a disservice. And I feel like our culture in youth sports is too is too based on winning, you know, instead of, you know, developing, you know, young people and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I feel like that's an uphill battle trying to get people to understand, especially when, you know, they already know if you win, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create positive opportunities for you. So. Um, Damn it, Corey! I needed you on a couple episodes ago to help prove my point when we talked about youth sports and football, because that was my exact point. I felt like we were we were too caught up on winning and losing, and not the fundamentals and the basics. I mean, and I see it. I see it a lot, you know, at this level too. You know, some guys just—I'm not going to say that either. They don't know how to play the right way, or 
they're not interested in playing the right way. So, I mean, I think you see that, you know, and, and if your talent is at a level that will allow you to do that, then you'll last. And if not, you won't last. So, um, I mean, I think every man has to decide for himself, am I good enough to to do it my way and, and not buy into what the team is trying to do? Or do I need to, you know, get it together? And well, I mean, majority, like, we got to get it together. Different sport, but, I mean, I remember LeBron coming out kind of on his, his TV show, The Shop, last year and saying, like, three-fourths of the league didn't know how to play basketball. Like, and everybody kind of blew that out of proportion and made, like, a huge conversation about it. But, I mean, that, that speaks to your point about just people just not being fundamentally sound and understanding the game of football, which is, I mean, wild for people, I guess, not as in tune with with sports thinking like, hey, this is the professional, this is the highest of the high, but they still don't know the common basics of the game. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's really an epidemic, you know, and at this point, you know, or even at college, it's, it's kind of late, you know, to try to get that into them, you know, but when I watch these shows on TV about the little league football and, you know, uh, Friday night hikes and uh, I forget what some of the other ones are called, but you see it all the time. So you grew up in, in Pittsburgh, right? Well, I was Sorry. born in Pittsburgh and I spent some time in Mississippi and then I moved to Kentucky, but I went, I moved to Kentucky when I was in middle school. Okay. So you played middle school football in Kentucky. Um, well, they have like, what would you call it? Youth league or whatever. They don't really have, it's the same age range, but it's right. not really uh, a school thing. It's more of a, like Pop Warner, I guess. Right. So did you see that at your, like when you were playing in your youth league in that middle school age, did you see it then as well with people that are just obsessed with winning? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like uh, I got some coaches that were harder than they should have been. You know, and I was able to miss a lot of it because, you know, obviously I was physically blessed and I was a bigger kid and I was pretty athletic and all those things. So, you know, I was eating, you know, real talk. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So but <laughs> I, I do feel like, you know, some of the coaches were taking it a little bit too seriously, you know, and I, I see that a lot, you know. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think, and we kind of, we were touching on it, but do you think the combine is overrated in comparison to like what you do, like your on-field production, or do you feel that some people can slip by by being better at one or the other? I mean, I think, I'm not going to say it's not important, but I think it's very much so overrated. And I think that people don't really understand what it's for, especially now that the league is really trying to make it a spectacle, make it a a TV thing, and make it a, you know, all, all of that. It's about, it's about the money, right? Well, right, yeah. You know, football's been over, and people are, are itching to consume something. Right. I, I mean, I'm not – I don't blame them for doing it. I'm just saying that the combine is the combine. I mean, I think that if you take a, you know, okay, Kentucky, Josh Allen, right, you know, mm-hmm. Josh Allen can't go to the combine and run a five flat, but, you know, as long as he doesn't, you know, 
just do something embarrassing there, you know, I think it's fine. You know, he, his play is amazing, you know, and I think that that's going to stand for itself. But just like I'm saying, like, he can't go and run a five flat. That will right. affect him, you know. But I'm saying I don't really think that they're going to see him at the combine and feel any differently than they felt from watching that tape, you know, which is amazing, you know. So, um, you know, I think it, it has a purpose. I think the more of the purpose is so they can get a look at you from a medical standpoint and actually talk to you for 15 minutes to kind of figure out, you know, is this a, is this a person that I want to give a job to, you know? And so I, I think everything will be evaluated. So, you know, some people are not going to do as well in the end of interview portion. Um, but at the same point in time, if you're a baller, then, you know, I think that's going to, stand on its own i mean it can't if somebody doesn't like you you know that's another reason why i don't like you you know because you don't interview well now you know but if i was in love with you coming in the door you know i'm gonna make every excuse for this interview you know i'm gonna i'm gonna help you out i'm gonna throw the softball questions i'm not gonna come <laughs> at you like i want you to do well i want i want to draft you you know what i'm saying so um it, it has a purpose but so, I don't think it's as important as, you know, it's kind of built up to be. So will you watch it at all? No. Now, or, <laughs> but so I, I'll ask, you guys have the first pick in the draft and the, the, you know, the projections are saying that the two picks, two top picks are going to be either Nick Bosa or Josh Allen. And those are both guys that play similar positions to you coming off the edge. So those are two guys that you're potentially going to work with. Do you like? Do you stay invested in that at all? Do you have any preference? Do you have any bias? Do you like say like I'd love to work with Josh Allen? Do you watch those kids play in college at all? Well, the Kentucky co connection kind of makes it unfair. So I watch uh, him. You know, I watch all the Kentucky games. But right. he was, you know, if he was at another school, then no, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> tune in just to watch it. You know, I, I mean, I watch, I watch SEC games that they're on. And I try to watch all the Kentucky games, you know, but that's just because I played in the SEC. I kind of understand the lay of the land. I'm out here in Arizona. I don't really, I don't really know anything about, you know, Pac-10 football. Pac, what is it, Pac-12? Yeah. <laughs> You're showing your age a little bit now. So it, I don't know, you know, I don't watch too many of those games. So, um, so for me, like, if I had a choice, I would pick Josh Allen, but I'm completely biased. Um, you know, but both no, of those guys are, are really That's the right players. choice. <laughs> that's, that's a 100% correct choice. Take right. take Josh Allen. And... Amazing. You know, I, I saw him play. Um, you know, I, I've been kind of hearing about the hype and all of that, and I was watching him play, watching him play, and I had to text Jarman, um, and I was like, man, Josh Allen's way better than you. <laughs> <laughs> and Jarman, at the time we were in school, uh, Jeremy Jarman was – you know, leading one of the leading sackers yeah, in the SEC, yeah, you know, yeah, he's all SEC yeah. and all of that. And, you know, he got drafted, played in the league for a while. And, uh, oh, man, but but Josh Allen is, is amazing, man. He's really good. I was, you know, because I was starting to hear the hype for, man, this guy's going to be a top 10 pick, you know, and I was just like, well, you know, let me, let me take a good look at him, you know, because I don't really believe the hype a lot of times. You know, I mm -hmm. feel like people – People hype up anything, really, you know, especially in this inter Instagram generation. 
Right. Right, and somebody gets popular, and so then it almost it, it becomes popular to right. put them up there in the top of the draft. Well, I know for, and at least in me and Corey's case, well, a little land to land, but Kevin uh, played at Air Force, and then he's a huge Ohio State fan. But he, oh. he's probably more, I guess he's probably seen a lot more top-rated picks come through Ohio State than we have at Kentucky. So when you have these, you know, these media outlets that cover Kentucky football preaching like and saying, hey, Josh Allen's the guy, he's everything – it's, I mean, no disrespect, but it's hard for me sometimes to separate what is Kentucky fed, like, uh, promo and what's, like, actually factual, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear you. But so, the thing about Josh Allen with me, though, is when you've got – it's easy to be the guy when you play for Ohio State or Alabama because nobody can single you out. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like you're going to get yours because – uh, or they gotta they gotta invest everything to stop you, and then your teammates are just gonna are just gonna ball out. But like for Josh Allen, when you play at Kentucky, like you're the guy, yeah. And so everybody's keen on you, and he so, still produces. So you think Josh Allen over Bolster? No. <laughs> See, but, I, but that's the thing. I I don't know because Bosa's the obvious. He seems like he's been crowned the number one pick since oh no doubt. a long time ago. So who knows what the Cardinals are actually gonna do? What I'm saying, I, let me be clear, because I really haven't watched uh, Bosa play, you know, so I can't say that Josh Allen is, you know, the better choice or, um, you know, but I just, when I see Josh Allen, I think that he is a, like, he's that type of talent, you know, when I see him play. So I can't, you know, in my mind, he is, so is the the D tackle from Alabama as well. Yeah. Williams. Yeah, he's, he's a really good player and. You know, like I said, I watched a lot of SEC ball and obviously the the playoffs and then the championship. So, you know, I've seen him play quite a bit. And Alabama's always on TV. Yep. Let me ask you this, Corey. And I know you mentioned earlier that you don't watch a lot of things outside of the SEC, but he is another top name that's been brought up a lot. But Ed Oliver, and I, I recently saw something online that was like, Houston did Ed Oliver a disservice because they were playing him as the wrong technique. And this guy really, like, went in detail and broke it down. Like, when they lined him up correctly, he was a monster. He was defeating one-on-ones. He was in position to defeat double teams. Like, he was really taking over the game. But when they lined him up incorrectly, which is how they were playing the most of the time, he was able to be blocked a little bit more. One, have you been able to see Ed Oliver at all? But two... How often is that that people are played incorrectly and then they get to the league and they get in a system that's actually using them in a way that's that's beneficial for the player and and the team? Well, I think that, you know, I have seen Ed Oliver play a few times, and I think I understand what you're talking about. Um, you know, I feel like they were running some kind of a 3-4 a defense, and it, it seemed like they had him playing nose tackle pretty much right over the center. Right. Um, no, which is a it's not the best position to rush from. Um and obviously if you go out to that three technique or I feel like the further you go out, the easier it is to rush. So, you know, you want your more um talented rushers out, you know, in those opportunities. But I think it's it's only gonna make him a better player. You know, the more the more techniques you learn and, and that you can master, the better. Um he's definitely a talented guy. You know, I know there was some um 
he's trying to issue with his coach or, you know, I, I remember seeing that on um, Sports Center or something. But, um, you know, I'm sure he's going to be, he's going to move on and it'll be just fine. He's going to probably have a long and successful career. But, uh, I, I mean, I think that, you know, as far as people play, being played out of position, you know, I think it happens all the time, you know. But, you know, you got to understand that as a coach, you you have to find a way to make these pieces fit into a puzzle. And sometimes, you know, you playing out of position might be the best thing for the team, you know. Right. Um, if that, I mean, in that case, it, you know, it is what it is, you know. But at the same point in time, it's just like basketball. When when coach draw a play up for somebody else, I'm gonna do do the best of my ability because when he draw the play up for me, I'm gonna need y'all to be on point now. You know right. what I'm saying? So that's I mean I think that's just how it works. I respect that. Going back to the combine, we did a we did an episode last week and we talked about some of the obnoxious questions that players get asked and um, we kind of we kind of went through some of them and answered how we would answer them on the air. Like if we were in that position, what would we say? And so did you, did you get asked any of these like ridiculous questions from any of the teams that you hear about on the, on the, on, like on ESPN and all that stuff? No, I didn't really get, I didn't really get anything, you know, but I, you know, my, my um, reputation was squeaky clean coming out. I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any issues. <laughs> I didn't have any issues at Kentucky and, I feel yeah, but- like somebody they would have talked to would have said good stuff about me. Just because, I mean, I don't think it's hard. Just try to be respectful, especially to the people that are helping you out on a day-to-day basis and, and trying to help you achieve something, you know. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's true, though. I think that, you know, I think they'll ask you anything, really. But I think it's more so just to see what you're going to do, how you're going to react, right, you know. Right. Are you going to fly off the handle and, Storm out of here, or are you just? Gonna... <laughs> oh. but... You, you should have. Was well, we got to think of some of these questions? It's like if you were a tree, what would you be? Or if you could be any animal, like what would you pick and why? Mm-hmm. Um, we were we were researching all these questions that we had found online that had been asked at the combine, and some of them were absolutely ridiculous. You know, I got I got asked stuff like you know, would you would you rather be a cat or a dog? But then you answer it, and then, <laughs> and then they just move on to the next question. They don't tell you like why. No, they just ask you answer <laughs> something else. So it's like I don't know. You know, I don't know. I think I think they just want to see what you're gonna say. Honestly, I think it's just to kill time, loosen the mood a little bit, you know, make it not so. Because you know, obviously these guys are coming. They're in college. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting to get to the NFL. And this is the first opportunity that you're sitting in front of, you know, an organization. So when I say an organization, I mean, you got head coach, GM, maybe the owner, maybe some um, president, like, yeah, team president, the whole front office, basically some scouts. When I I met with the Steelers coming out and, uh, you know, I remember sitting in there and thinking, man, because I always looked up to Mike Tomlin, and he was a cool dude. Um, and they had Joe Green in there asking questions, uh, very pointed and like what <laughs> questions, like very intimidating. Like, but uh, now it was a cool. I, I mean, I think it was a 
an interesting process, a very stressful process, a very long process. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's something that'll make you stronger. I'm terrified at the thought that teams would ask me about all the house parties I threw in college and why I was not studying game film instead. And that's that you know, has me panicking right now. <laughs> funny, what's funny is that, you know, I feel like I, I went in there with the, the feeling that anything that they asked me directly, that they already knew. So right. I, I, I decided what. You know, I, I didn't really have anything, but I, I decided I wasn't going to lie. If they asked me something, I was just going to tell them. You know, I mean, it's college. Right. What do you really expect? You know what I'm saying? So um, I, I think I remember um, I used to play a lot of snaps in college. And I mm-hmm. sometimes be loafing. And I remember, I can't remember who it was, but all they had up there was me loafing. Just over and over, play after play after play. Like, just... Boom, boom. <laughs> um, like very like serious. Like what's um what's going on with your effort here? Is your effort uh what do you think about your effort? You know, and I'm just yeah, you know, this is not good enough. It's really piss poor, you know. I I, I really can't, you know, this is inexcusable. I, I can't allow that I can't put this type of stuff on tape. You know, I'm very like I'm gonna get out in front of you. And they know, love right. that answer, I I'm bet. Just give it to you. So, um, you know, and they were like do you think it's because you're out of shape? And I was like, I, I don't really think I was out of shape because, you know, we did quite a bit of conditioning. Right. So, you know, I, I feel like we, we did our fair share. And Nance can attest to that. He struggled with many a conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, but, I think you got me confused with Mikhail. I ain't never missed no conditioning. You never looked bad at Mikhail, but <laughs> you, you wasn't just breezing through it. Listen, hey, I'm out here running with with all these running backs at 245. Yeah. Like, it, but like yeah. you know, I look back now and it's amazing. Like the things that at any really honestly, any higher up college player could attest to. But the things you put your body through just to be able to play a game is incredible. And I'm sure you know this even much fur even on a much further scale. Um, than we do, but the things that you're willing to put your body through just Man. to compete. Like, Kevin Kevin went to Air Force. Like, he was saying, like, they used to have to, like, tread water for 30 minutes, then, like, jog in wet gear all the way across campus to go to practice. Like, are you kidding me? I used to hate jogging from the Nutter to the indoor in the snow. Like, I would have never made it at Air Force. Yeah, man, that, that's tough. I know that's tough because, you know, I barely made it. You know, and but I don't I don't work out like that anymore. We did some some crazy stuff at Kentucky. When I I look back on it, like thinking about it, like if I was to tell myself, okay, Corey, you're going to do a Kentucky workout tomorrow, like weight room and then the run right after it. You know, (laughs) we used to to go in there and squat heavy, four sets of 10, like as heavy as you can go and then go right outside and and do conditioning. Like, right. Not to mention, like, Coach Hill, like, hiking up the, the heat so that it's, like, 80 in the weight room. Then you going outside, and it's, like, 90-something out there. Like, we ain't getting no kind of break. Hey, man, we had to – AJ mentioned it. We had to take water survival. So the team would had to take – every cadet had to take water survival. So we would – like, the football players in spring 
we would take water survival and then like AJ said, you would just run to the football building and then change real quick, get in the shower to warm up because you're freezing cold. And then you would just get changed real quick, take the bus and they would bus you to the stadium. And then you had spring practice. No, I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> so what if you couldn't swim? You had to learn That's how to swim? Well, I so, sleep like a rock. So before, you, so before you could take swim class, uh, water survival, you had to take swim. So you took eight lessons of swimming and then eight lessons of water survival afterwards. So if you took, if you couldn't swim, you went to basic swimming. So then you had eight lessons of basic swimming and then eight lessons of swimming and then eight lessons of water survival. And I've so we had, I had, a teammate who, I had a teammate who failed basic swimming twice. <laughs> so was he, he black? Took, yeah, he was. I knew it. 100% of the kids in basic swimming were black, I have to admit. So oh. this kid took 24 lessons of swimming and then went to swimming class and then went to water survival. All right, Kev, let me, I'm going to ask you a question, then I got one for, for Corey. Kevin, how long was your longest session of treading water? 40 minutes. Corey, how long could you tread water with your life on the line? <laughs> with my life on the line? I, I feel like... You don't want with your life on the line. I feel like I could make it. I could make it. <laughs> but I feel like I could float, too. <laughs> I have to tread water. I'm not a very good... You, I'm not you could float a little bit. Like I tell you, I couldn't... I, if I stopped treading for a second, I went straight to the bottom. Oh, no. See, I can... I know in the pool, um, when I'm in the pool, if, if I try to float, I can get myself floating for 20 seconds. I feel like if I was in a bigger body of water, then I really could float a little bit better. You know, but... And then I could tread back up to the top and then float again. I could, I could last like that for a while, but I'm not a very strong swimmer. Like I can swim, but I, I feel like I get tired really fast. No, so I thought I thought I could swim, and then I took like, and not only that, but it was at seven thousand feet, so you're already out of breath because it's in Colorado, and and so. Oh, but the, the worst part is you get out and then like, all right, you go get your bus to spring practice, and you're like, oh my god, my hand. My hammy would have gave out, and I'd have been done oh, for. You just cramping. <laughs> the bottom of the pool. Just if you cramp in the pool, I feel like you just drown. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> That's the worst part. Especially if you can't touch. Every every swim class, you had to start off with a 250-meter swim, and, like, you're just dead, exhausted. And you're like, I can't stop because I just drowned. <laughs> I'm, I'm so serious right now. I don't know if I swam 250 meters the entire time. I was in college. We used to go to the pool every year at the, uh, during camp that one time. Man, we did we did uh, calisthenics in like three feet of water. Then got on the slides the rest of the time. Like but that's the problem is I went to the pool and I learned real quick. There's a difference between going to the pool and knowing how to swim. Right, right. Y'all was probably sure. going to them like pool like deep joints where it might be twenty feet. Like yeah, I'm in Man. trouble on them. So I'll tell you this story. This is the best story ever. So you every day at, at Water Survival, you had to jump off the 10-meter. That's the way you got into the pool. So you started off the class jumping off the 10-meter, which is around like 35 feet. Oh, so hell I'm, no. scared, I'm scared of heights, but like I can kind of will myself to do it. And you have to climb up this rickety ladder to get up there. And this girl was first in line. And there was, a, there was an instructor that would stand right there at the edge and just kind of like, all right, you're going to be fine. And there was a lifeguard down there. And um, 
this girl was so scared and she was she just did not want to do it she was fighting it and finally she grew she 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 gained the courage to jump off the 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 10 meter <laughs> and so she goes to jump off the 10 meter and right on her last step she faints and oh. she just falls right off the 10 meter and just smacks right into the water it was the most hilarious thing i've ever seen in my life no, ain't nothing funny about falling 35 feet in the it water. It was hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if I would be laughing or if I would think that, is she dead? No, there was definitely, like, the lifeguard was in the water before she even hit the water. And so, like, you, there was a little moment of, like, oh, my goodness, did she just faint? And then she hit the ground and, or the water, and it was just a smack. And, but then she was like awake. Like when she got out of the water, she was, I mean, she came up and was like, fine. And everybody kind of started just cheering and laughing. Like, Hey, you did it. You finally made it off the 10 meter. I think I could. I feel like I could probably will myself to jump, but like, I probably would the climb up to that 10 meters would have been miserable. Like it's the worst. That would have been the worst part. Because it was really rickety. Like, they redid the pool, like, when we were there. And so Came it was, like, elevator nice, solid platform. And, like, it was, like, a staircase and everything. It was nice. But, it was yeah, it was not fun. So, nice, <laughs> Corey, I want to ask you um, just something a little bit different than actual sports and, and football. But I noticed that, like, recently you and the family went out to South Africa uh, for a vacation, uh, wanted to get your your takes on how that experience was for you. We had a really good time. It was amazing. We went and stayed out at a um, a bush reserve, uh, like a lodge out there, mm-hmm. and you know elephants coming by. And, um, it, it really was nice. Went on a few safaris there, and you know we pretty much saw you know any every animal you can imagine, um, and uh, up close and pretty. You know, I didn't really feel like we were in too much danger, um, except for with elephants. But I mean, it was really an awesome experience. And um, after we left there, we spent some time in Cape Town um, and, you know, saw a lot of wildlife and went up to the top of Table Mountain. So, I mean, it's, it's just a, a really cool experience. And um, I definitely would recommend it to anybody, you know, looking at traveling to Africa. So, um you know, we had a great time. The family um, really got to see some some new things. My parents, uh, my wife Jenna, her parents, and um, you know, just to to be able to kind of share that experience with them was something I remember for a while. That's did you definitely see, one of my you, bucket list places? You know, I'm from Columbus. So I'm not really a big fan of uh, the University of Michigan or uh, Jim Harbaugh in particular, but he did just announce that they're taking the whole team to South Africa. Did you did you hear about that? No, I didn't hear that, but I I um I did see you know that in years past I, I saw that they were overseas in different places. Yeah, they went but to I, Italy, and I think they went to uh, where did they else did they go? did they go to France? They, go to, they went to Italy two years ago, and then they went to and I can't remember where it was exactly. <sighs> they went somewhere last year, but then they just so they they're trying to keep this kind of like this tour going on to give these college kids this experience because obviously they can't pay them. But just trying to give them as much as they can. I mean, I think that's you know something that should be applauded. Really, I like to see more colleges doing it if 
you know, if they can do it. Um, because, you know, like you said, that that's something that they, they're never going to forget. I think about, uh, I think about, no disrespect to the Music City Bowl, but, man, we had a blast down there, you know. Yeah. In Nashville, <laughs> you know, I feel like, you know, the bowl system, everything. So I, I can only imagine if they took the group of guys we had to a, another country and allowed us to spend, you know, a couple weeks together and just or whatever, you know, and have a good time like that, the memories would be yeah. amazing. I know they would. You, you and I both know <laughs> there would have had to be some cutoffs on who could go on these trips or not because we would have been in trouble. We took the whole team overseas to a certain place. I mean, I didn't say that, you know, that we could be unsupervised. Right. But, <laughs> but, you know, we would have had a good time. Either way, you know, we they would have had to definitely take enough chaperones, I would say, for every three person you need an adult chaperone. Well, yeah. I, also, Man. I would say this, though. Like, when you're going to a bowl game, there's enough level of familiar, familiarity, that, especially when it's your, like, third or fourth bowl game, that you kind of get a comfort level. But I imagine that when you go to a place like Italy and you're walking around like the Coliseum, you kind of like you kind of recognize the significance of the situation and you kind of just you kind of mature a little bit. Oh, for sure. I think that just seeing that, you know, I mean, I think that the one thing we forget is that America is such a young country, you know. So when you go to these other places and you, you start to think about, man, how long ago are we talking about you know, this is before, you know, America was even, you know, a thing. Right. So uh, I think, you know, it, it just makes you really dig into that and learn as much as possible. <laughs> Corey, I got another funny one for you. Me and Kevin often argue about this because he's much more adventurous than I am. But one of the questions we've always brought up is, do you think you could survive longer in the water with a great white shark or out in the open field with a lion? In the water. <laughs> I, I thought for sure you'd say in with the with the lion. No, I was gonna, the lion. What am I gonna do with a lion? <laughs> what you gonna do with a shark? And you gotta swim. I, feel like, I honestly feel like you shark not, sharks don't hunt humans. You know, I feel like the majority of shark attacks happen to like surfers, people who kinda like look like seals and or like you know, they don't have more. I'm just saying. I just feel like, and then I feel like when a shark take a bite of a human, it's not like they finish it, eat a human. Like they bite the leg off and be like, ah. but I, I'm convinced if human was that good, they would come back because they don't get out the water that fast and you bleed. You know? And I can only hope that this was how you answered this question at the at the combine. This is how I answered. I would. I will answer it the same way, I feel like. Probably not as animated, more serious, like, you know. Like, <laughs> but what I'm saying, you know, I feel like a lion in a field, you're dead. I mean, I don't I don't see how you get away from it. You can't but run that, huh? Right, but, like, if it's one lion, like, they fight in packs. One lion, ten lions, doesn't matter? Nance, how you, tell me, okay. In, in this scenario, how does this scenario... Okay, you in the field, lion is 200 yards, 300 yards away. How many yards you want? I don't want a lot of yardage. I'd rather that lion be close so I could 
consider how I'm going to respond to it. My thing is, I'm in the I'm in the ocean with a shark, so I'm already at a deficit because I got to swim. Hold on, man. Hold on, man. Let's talk about the lion. I don't want to talk about the ocean. I want to hear how you're going to get away from a lion. A lion weighs less, so I'm figuring, like, at least I have, I'm on my feet. I've been on my feet all my life. So okay, I'm that's... comfortable at least on my feet and just trying to ward off the lion until help can come. Like, if I'm in the water, I can't put my feet on the ground and, like, knock a shark away. Like, I have to try to swim to stay alive. Then I got to try to fight a shark to stay alive. I guess I'm just saying both are unfortunate. Correct. I feel like in the water, I'm more hopeful that the shark will just not not want to eat me, you know, or at, least, or at least take a bite out and be like, oh, that's a human. It's not that delicious. I'm good. <laughs> Listen, hey, you can live the rest of your life without a leg. Yeah. All right. We'll see how that works. Like, if you're going to take my leg, just go ahead and finish me off, dog. Don't make me. That, I don't. I don't want to be here with just one one leg. That lion. I don't think. I don't see any way of surviving. If you see that lion walking, you know how that lion be like. He got his eyes on the um on whatever. Well, first off, you can't see that lion because that thing is crouched. That's what I'm saying. He's crouching and walking slow, like trying to get closer. And as soon as you see him, he's gonna come out into a sprint, just see? like special kickoff. I feel. I feel like the lion is like Duke basketball. It's it's trying to win off intimidation. Like you gotta you gotta let the lion know you ain't scared of it. And then you know you fight back. And then he like, oh wait, wait a minute. I could just go catch a zebra. They won't fight back and I just eat that. Like why am I why am I deal with this dude? Well what I'm saying is that when it, when the lion get to hunting, all the animals start running. And a, a zebra is faster than you. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> this, so, this is true. This is true. So what I'm saying is, once we get into the running, you become the the obvious choice for that. <laughs> hey, so I think I, I think I'm pretty confident in saying that you probably don't think I'm as crazy as I as I sound when I say I wouldn't mind getting in the shark cage in South Africa and no, like just seeing the sharks. I, I was thinking about doing that. You know, it is a little bit outside of my comfort zone, you know. But, of course it's going to be outside your comfort zone. Like, it's great white sharks. But I do feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, but I'm really into that. Like, I watch a lot of um, Nat Geo and all that type of stuff. So that, like, really intrigues me. So stuff really, like that. That's a bucket side of my mind. Like, I just, I would love to do that one time in my life, especially in South Africa. Yeah, I was trying to get my family to do it with me. A few of them said they would, but I knew they wouldn't, so I didn't even waste my time trying to take them out there and having them embarrass me. Ain't no way I'm getting in a cage and letting a shark swim up to me. No, sir. He's no not going to be swimming up to you. He's going to be swimming around the cage. So you it's ain't never like seen a shark break the, skate, you know, the cage? Have you, ever, have you ever been to the aquarium in Atlanta? Yeah, but he behind a big ass glass. Like he can't get to me. I'm not in the water. What I'm saying is, it's like the opposite. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, so we in it's the glass? One... Yeah. No, thank so we you. We in the glass? No, thank you. <laughs> I'll stay hey, on the so boat. I, 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 I'm school certified, and so I went to um, I went to uh, a Disney World one time. They can let like you can sign up to go and. Uh, 
and jump in into the tank with and they got like eight sharks they got stingrays and all the fish and stuff and so we went scuba diving at, at disney world and there were eight sharks in there and you're like you prove the point they just swim right by you they don't even know you're there uh, no, uh, listen. You know, I, you're not buying What? You're not buying it? I, hell no. You, I know you've seen videos of a shark break a cage and like go to ripping and running at people. Like, mm-mm. that just seems like, I, I, hey, let me lower you, know, you as bait into the water so the shark can possibly get you. You're not the bait. They have the other bait out there, you know. That's right. Along shark. with me. <laughs> like, if I'm in the boat, the, in bait, the bait's in the water. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, if we pick it, if we pick it between that and the lion thing, you don't stand a chance with. This. I I don't know if you think we're talking about a mountain lion or nah, I'm, nope. a big roar. I don't, uh, don't see. I don't see any way. Mufasa them them that you get away from that lion. Hey, listen. You will probably, probably make a good meal too. <laughs> yeah, that lion gonna be sleep off the itis after he smashed me. Like, I'm done for. All week. <laughs> ah, I love it. That, so that was a uh, that was one of the things you know when we went on that safari. I, I mean, I kind of realized that really quickly. Man, this is this is the real life wilderness out here. You know so. Right. These animals, if they don't, if they don't hunt, you know they don't eat. And if they ain't on they on top of they they stuff, they gonna get eat. So, I was definitely alert. Well, I can't wait for my wife to listen to this podcast so I can perhaps uh, talk her into take uh, us going to South Africa because you've sold it for me. <laughs> but another thing I wanted to ask you about: uh, so this coming June. You're going to be inducted into the Kentucky Pro Football Hall of Fame. What does that mean for you? Like you mentioned earlier, from middle school years on, you've been, you've lived in Kentucky. Like, what does that honor mean for you? Man, it's really big for me. You know, I, I think it's always, you know, good to be recognized for, you know, something that you've put a lot of work into. You know, so for me, it's just, I guess it's just, it just puts a smile on my face to, to kind of have that opportunity with all the other great players that have already been inducted. So uh, I'm looking forward to going up there and, and kind of going through the process. And, you know, it'd be something I'll be able to tell my children about. And then I, I saw that you're going in with Champ Bailey and a couple others. Yes, yes. So I'm be excited to meet them too. That's a, I mean, that's incredible. Like, I'm, I'm sure, like, we've talked a lot, like, just from growing into adults and men, but we talked a lot just about, like, legacy and football and i'm certain that when you started playing as a youngster you could only dream and imagine of like hey i'm gonna be in somebody's hall of fame one day you know for me i i always was just you know ball was really where i found my acceptance and i was just playing because you know i had friends i was having a good time and (laughs) i was just good at it you know what i'm saying so I wasn't necessarily the kid that said I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame or any of that type of stuff. You know, for me, I just fell in love with the game because of, you know, kind of everything that comes with it, you know. And uh, when I when I finish playing, what I think that I'll miss the most is 
sitting in that locker room laughing and <laughs> uh, long bus rides and, you know, complaining together in the cold tub. And, you know, I think I'll miss a lot more of that than the, the heat and, you know, the, the hills and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but for something like this, for something that I've worked so hard for and that I've put so much into and respect is a, a huge thing for me um, as far as from your peers and the people you work with, coaches and all that stuff. Um, you know, I think that's where, for me, it has the biggest impact. I think it's just um, a big sign of respect. So I'm honored and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think from <clears throat> from somebody that's been a teammate of yours, but also just a friend and an and observer of your career for these past eight, nine years, I think it's it's more than well-deserved. And I, I'm, I'm proud for you, but also know that the Kentucky Hall of Fame is doing the right thing, and they're putting they're putting a great guy into this Hall of Fame. So we're certainly uh, we're proud of you for that, and we're we're happy for that. In June, you know, we'll get to celebrate this, and and hopefully, you know, be able to see your speech. And uh, thank you, I appreciate. It. I, I guess I do need to write a speech. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I have to write it too. I, I'm gonna have to write it down because if I don't write it. I'm gonna be a shambles. <laughs> you can't just go off the cuff. I get emotional, and I <laughs> got I gotta write it down, and I'm gonna read it. Oh yeah, practice. Oh yeah, practice. Oh yeah, but yeah. So you read it, and then when you feel comfortable enough to just jump off the page a little bit, then you'll be good. <laughs> then you can always come right back. Uh, I'll be up there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I know myself. I can't try to. To talk from the heart, my heart will come out for real. Would you rather? Would you rather the dinner portion of this night be before your speech or after? I think it just depends on who who's at the table. You know what I mean? Because if I'm just being frank, some of these events are just dry. And, <laughs> uh, like I, I think it. I guess that's like with anything else. You know, if you enjoy the company, you know, we can sit there all night and laugh and have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's if it's gonna be super dry and you know, hello, my name is Corey. You know, I'm just not into that. So uh, I'm sure my family will be there, so we'll have a good time. Gotcha. So we can have dinner after, or well, no, probably want to speak after because I don't want to have to talk to people about my speech. You know, I don't want to. Oh, Corey, you know that speech when you said this, this. <laughs> I don't want to do that. It's gonna make it. It makes me uh, uncomfortable. I don't know. It makes me feel. I don't know. I guess I'm bashful. I'm, I'm shy. I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm shy. I think bashful is more. Is is a better word. I would say that you're a little bit more reserved around people outside of the norm. But like when you're around friends, family, and stuff, I I feel like you're much more open and much more, you know, expressive towards those things. You know, if you're in a room full of strangers. For sure. For Which sure. isn't a bad thing. No, I don't think so. All right, so uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to break down our Mount Rushmore. So stay tuned. All right, uh, welcome back to the Peace of Mind podcast. We've got Arizona Cardinals defense attack with Corey Peters on the show. Uh, Corey, coming off a tough year, how did the Cardinals get back to being in the mix as a playoff team? I think we just, we just have to get back to the drawing board and, and kind of put it back together. You know, I, I feel like our talent level um, is just as good as any other team. 
you know, obviously we have a young quarterback. Um, he needs to continue to develop. And, you know, I think he will. Um, I think he showed some promising signs um, last year. Um, you know, but obviously, I mean, we have Chandler Jones, um, led the league in sacks last year. Um, Patrick Peterson is the best cornerback in the game. Larry Fitzgerald is a legend, you know. Yes. Um, you know, we have a lot of good players. Um, I, I think our, our thing is just to, you know, kind of get back on the same page. We're going back to a 3-4. Um, I feel like, you know, once we figure out how we fit in that and start working on that, um, I think, you know, we have – opportunity for success so i was going to ask you who's one of the toughest guys you've competed against in the league but then you mentioned larry fitzgerald and what's it like being his teammate because you know just a reputation of his is that he's like a world-class guy and so what's i mean he's on the opposite side of the ball but have you had any interaction with him and what's his role like with the team um more so than just being a receiver obviously i would assume he's like a team captain like player yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's one of our captains, and, uh, you know, I mean, he's an awesome guy. You know, he's a nice guy, get his shirt off his back, very personable, um, especially for somebody uh, of his stature, you know, and the way I would qualify it is that my mom knows who he is. So, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I think that, that says a lot. Um, so, for me, you know, he's a great teammate. Um, he's just somebody that – you know, I can understand how he's gotten that reputation. And, you know, I think it's all true. Have so going you back had, to the, oh, my bad. bad. I was going to say, have you had any interactions with Coach Kingsbury yet? Or will that take place maybe closer towards, like, um, OTAs and stuff like that? Um, I haven't had an opportunity to meet him yet. Um, I've I just been, you know, in and out of town. So um, I haven't really been over to the facility or had a chance. But. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure it'll happen, you know, probably in the next month or so. Will he take the opportunity to meet with all uh, with with the entire roster? You know, uh, every coach is different, and you know they they have the option to do whatever it is that they want. You know, so I don't know, but I, I wouldn't imagine. You know, usually I would say that guys pretty much, uh, you know, just kind of meet with the the main guys. That's fair. Sticking on the topic of football, and, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, but looking at the University of Kentucky and their progression over the last few years, do you feel like Coach Stoops and the boys, are we here to stay? Are we are we primed for a falling off? Like, where do you feel like we're at right now? You know, honestly, next year is going to be the test, you know, because we got a lot of guys that are going to be at this combine. You know, a lot of guys that are very talented and, and had a big part in this kind of resurgence of UK football. So um, next year is really going to be the, the the thing, and I think it's really relying on quarterback position, and I love him. You know, I think he, I think they need to take the, the reins off of him and let him loose. You know, I think that, uh, that Terry could be excellent, you know. So I'm looking for him to have a big year next year, throw the ball a little bit more, open it up but still maintaining that physical style of running the ball, um, which I really enjoy watching. Um, you know, but Coach Stoops done an amazing job of building, recruiting. You know, when I see the recruiting classes that are coming in, I, it, it's clear to me that, you know, that we've taken that next step as far as, you know, building a program that's going to be top 25, you know, year in and year out. Wow. My, my question is, 
you know, can we get over that hump? You know, and, you know, I think it, the SEC is such a – if you win the SEC, you win the national championship. That's the, that's the type of conference it's in. So, you know, I like to see us get to that point where we're competing for conference championships. Right. And, you know, we were close this year, but, you know, I think when Georgia came in and we had Georgia at home, that was a real opportunity to kind of kick the door in, so to speak. Well, plus it seems like it seems like the window's closing on the SEC East because you have uh, Dan Mullins at Florida, who's, I guess, on pace to bring them up to, uh, to the premier status that they have been. Uh, it is yet to be seen what Tennessee will end up doing. But with Georgia kind of where they're at, it kind of seems like Georgia's running the show, and then it seems like the window might be closing on teams like Everybody Vanderbilt else. and Kentucky and saying, like, well, if Florida gets back to where they're competitive, Tennessee gets back to where they're competitive, and then obviously who knows what Missouri's going to do because the, when they first joined the SEC East, they, I think they won it in the first two years. They went back to back mm-hmm. in their first two years, yeah. And so you've got you've got those guys if if they get back to where they're going, and that league is just so cutthroat in general that you just hope that when uh, Kentucky's window isn't closed. Um, I mean, I don't know. You know, I think that I think that this was definitely a missed opportunity, but you know, I think we're we're still on the upswing. You know, and I, I like us. You know, and I think that you know we have just as good an opportunity to to kind of take that next step as anybody else, you know, I feel like the success this year is actually going to influence recruiting in a, a a more positive way too, you know, and I, I know that out here, a lot of guys came up to me in the locker room and said, Hey man, you know, Kentucky is, is really doing something. And, you know, if guys that are not really involved are taking the time to watch Kentucky games, you know, I think that the recruits certainly are as well. Um, and I feel like we had a lot of, national games and opportunities to be seen and and in those opportunities i feel like we played well at times so uh, i'm looking forward to to really continue um but i feel like the foundation that they set with the physical running game and good defense that's a winning formula i don't care you know what level you're playing at that's that's always going to be bread and butter. Right. And also, I guess the ball's in Mark Stoops' court because there's different types of coaches. And some coaches thrive in taking the underdog and then elevating that program status. And then some coaches thrive in living in that world of elite. And so Mark Stoops is going to have to transform maybe his philosophy in, in, in being the underdog and having to stay at the top of the hill and it used to be in the hunted instead of the hunter. And right. so I guess we're going to have to see if Mark Stoops can handle that and their coaching staff can handle that philosophy switch. Uh, that's a challenge as well. So, um, But I'm looking forward to this season. Um, you know, I think that we still going to have a good team, and uh, I'm interested to see what we do. I, I feel that this year, and you mentioned it, it's kind of like that bridge gap year of – we're losing a lot of talent, but we've got some good recruiting classes coming in. So it's like if we can bridge that gap for a season until we get everybody up to, you know, being sophomores, juniors, they can play. What success look like for us this year record-wise? What would you deem that to be a success for this season? I mean, I think that in order for us to keep building, you know, we need to be looking at, you know, eight, eight wins is a – 
is a requirement. You know, we we expecting you know nine ten wins. You know, and I, I think that's the type of program that that we need to be building towards. And then you know, a couple years, boom, you jump up and win. You know, I would say I would even venture to say that you got to be in the land of nine wins, and then you got to make sure you beat Tennessee because I think right now in the SEC East you've got Vanderbilt's a bottom feeder. I'd say right now, currently, Missouri's probably down there with them. And then you've got Georgia, obviously, at the top. You've got this, like, muddle in the middle of – well, I, AJ, where would you put South Carolina? I mean, like, Listen, they seem to be overhyped all the time. We've beat South Carolina five straight years. Now, I'm not putting down their, their program at all, but right now, this specific time, they're, I don't feel like they're in the same tier – as Kentucky is, just because we've dominated that series for five straight years, like, right? Until so they you're beat saying, us. So you're saying, in my opinion, you got to beat Tennessee. Yes, you need to beat the teams you're, you're supposed to beat. Yeah, you're above Tennessee right now as a program. Now, maybe not in terms of like fans, attendance, legacy, um, the the like the type of recruits you might get. But right now, you're a better program than Tennessee. So from right. an outsider perspective, you got to beat Tennessee. Everybody probably expects you to lose to Florida and and uh, Georgia. Mm-hmm. So to me, you might lose one non-conference game, and then you might lose. one I don't conference even say game. that this year. Like, well, this year in general, but like, so you got to say you got to you, you you probably lose to Florida, Georgia. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you say that? I just say probably. Well, Florida. I would, I would say I would say we would probably lose to Georgia. Florida's a toss-up because we have them at home, but also like. I don't see it like that. I see I see Georgia as Georgia is the Alabama. You know, they're on that. They're on that. They're an elite. They're an elite status they're, team. They're an elite team. But after that, in the East, after that in the SEC, besides Alabama, I feel like Kentucky is right there with anybody else. I'd agree with you. I'd you agree know? with you. But I so it, even if it's probably like fifty-five percent chance Florida wins, I don't know. I just. That's just, I probably what the average fan sees. Kentucky versus Florida, probably going to take Florida. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But I just it's, feel like that's that's just – it's all name. It's all, like, name-based, you know. For like, sure. And so yeah. if you were if you were going to go 9-3, and three, I would assume your three losses would be Georgia, maybe Florida, and then maybe you just – I don't know. Maybe you had some injuries. It was a bad week. Maybe it's the week after you played Georgia. Because I, I agree with you, AJ. You're not going to lose a non-conference game. Our non-conference. Uh, let me. I'm pulling up the schedule now. But I know we got. Um, I know we got Louisville, which that's that's a win. We have Louisville at home, and they're coming off a terrible season. They haven't. They haven't had a chance to rebuild. They got a new coach. That's got to be a win. You got Toledo, Eastern Michigan, Louisville, win, win. and Tennessee Martin. Those are win, all win, four win, non-conference. Win. Those are all four wins. Florida at home. Okay. You're on the road at Mississippi State. You're on the road at South Carolina. Arkansas at home. On the road at Georgia. Missouri at home. Yep, Missouri at home. Um, Tennessee at home. On the road at Vandy. So if I'm looking at that, like, I'm counting Vandy as a win until they beat us. I'm counting Missouri as a win until they beat us. Arkansas was down last year, so I'm counting that as a win until they beat us. South Carolina. South Carolina, I'm counting as a win until they beat us. That's eight wins right there. So, so you're looking at Ole Miss and Georgia. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Mississippi State and Georgia. 
Mississippi State is always a toss-up. Corey, you know this from our days. We split with Mississippi State. What'd you say? I say it's a weird series. Like it's it's so like we never beat Mississippi State at home, but we never lost on the road. It's always a weird one. That's a toss up. Tennessee, just because of the streak and who they are, like last year Tennessee was garbage, but they managed to step up and play against us in Auburn. But they were trash the rest of the season. So that one's hard to predict. We're a better team than them on paper right now. Will that play out in the season? I don't know. But like that's a toss up. Georgia is probably the one thing that you could look at right now and say more than likely that would be the one loss that I can probably look at. And in Florida, I feel like a toss up. And I I get it. We haven't beat Florida in thirty some odd years until last year, but we've had Florida on the ropes multiple times and just hadn't finished the gate. So now that you've kind of crossed that hurdle and you've beat them, I feel like like you have a chance to win that. But if we're talking like we have to have eight wins, I mean, just looking at that schedule, like you got to somehow, yeah. some way we need to craft out at least eight. Yeah, we got to. I mean, I think that if the quarterback takes a step, Terry Wilson, um, yep, I mean, he's I got think, to. I think that, you know, he's going to be a senior. It's time, you know. I like him. I think he's a capable guy. I love watching him play. Uh, I just feel like, you know, we just we took the ball out of his hands a little bit too much. You know, I think we could have let him take a few more chances. I also think it's going to be huge for us that Eddie Grand stayed because mm-hmm. I think, what, this is his third year now. So, like, people have been in that system. So they understand how he's going to coach, how he's going to play call. They're familiar with him. So, I mean, Terry's coming in after he had a, he had a spring season. He had a full season, and now he's coming back. He's understanding like Terry's our guy right now. So right. there's not a there's not a competition. You're not worried about that. What you're worried about right now is honing your skills to be as good as you can be on the field. Now you're not so much worried about winning the position battle, then taking over the team kind of thing. And and I mean, if you watch the Louisville game, he showed he can spread the ball around and throw it pretty well I feel to your point I feel like at times which probably right but at times we fell back to our safety blanket of Benny where we could have pushed the envelope a little bit more with Terry and just seen what we had So let's get to the Mount Rushmore segment. It's come to the end of the episode. Um, a chance for audience to get involved. We got Corey Peters, uh, defensive tackle for the Arizona Cardinals with us. He's going to join us and uh, talk about his the Mount Rushmore of candy bars or chocolate snacks. I think we need to break down some, uh, some ground rules here. No <laughs> sugary candies, right? Just right. chocolate. Just chocolate. chocolate. It, ha- it has to be chocolate. Like, I- That's fine. That's fine. But like Reese Pieces works in this category because it's chocolate. I like it. That's I all like it. that like that's fair game. But okay. I, I'll okay. get us started. Go ahead, go ahead. Just give us your top four and then we'll comment on what we think. I'll get us started. So my number four is white chocolate Kit Kat bar. Oh, that's trash already. 
Got it. I don't care what you think. <laughs> number three, <laughs> number three is M and M's. Which I'll, which kind? Uh, we'll take peanut for now, but if it, I only eat peanut or peanut butter M and M's. I don't eat any other flavor. Number two is a shocker here, and it could be something that is relative to where I grew up. But world's finest chocolate bars, like we used to have mm. people just going around like selling those to fundraise. Those things are incredible. The almond flavor ones, incredible. And then my number one was Butterfinger because nobody better than wow. my Butterfinger. These are, these are incredible. Literally, wow. I would not have gotten any of that correct if I was trying to. <laughs> Listen. I was, nothing I, wrong with them candy bars. I was with you on the M and M's, and then you said peanut butter M and M's. You don't like so well, not peanut, not not it's the peanut M and M's, not peanut butter M and M's. Well, said, I took I took peanut, but I only eat peanut or peanut butter M and M's. I don't eat like I'm not a big fan of the plain ones. Like as you can see, a lot of my list is based upon peanut butter. I've never had the world's finest chocolate bar. What is it? So like you know those little kids that come around yeah. and like hey do you want to you want to help out our football team and buy a chocolate bar for a dollar and you uh-huh. get like the four varieties you can get the one with the almonds in it or like the the crunch one yeah but I mean, my I'm sister I, like, <laughs> I don't know if that was that or but I have bought some you know many a chocolate bars for kids and they all <laughs> listen my sister my sister used to fundraise with world chocolate bars. And every year, some would come up missing. I'm like, look, I don't know where they went, like, but I hadn't seen them. <laughs> Kevin, I'm just gonna start got? off. I I didn't necessarily rank mine, but since I was a kid, my my all time favorite was always Butterfinger. So I'm there with you, you there. There you go. Um, and since it's coming up pretty soon, I, I do love Reese's, but the Reese's Easter Egg is mm. the best piece of candy I think ever. Better than the Christmas tree? Yeah. Yeah. The Reese's Easter egg is so much. It was the original one. And two, it's so much more peanut butter filling than the regular Reese's. Better than the white chocolate one? Well, you know my take. White chocolate is trash. Like only on pretzels. White Correct. (laughs) Yes. White chocolate on pretzels is the only acceptable form of white chocolate. I like white chocolate, but I ain't going to put it on the Mount Rush. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I don't and like then, having three people. I'm outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> so this kind of this this next one kind of goes to our uh, Mount Rushmore little debbies that we did for the Super Bowl, and um, I love the Kit Kat bars with the there wafer, the crunch, and the chocolate. I think that's there a solid go. piece of candy. Wouldn't be in my favorite, um, but I think it's solid. That's a great choice. Now, last but not least. Uh, this one's kind of out there, but I was thinking about it. Never in my life have I ever turned this down. Is those Andes chocolate mints that you get at the restaurant when they put them on the thing? <laughs> uh, chocolate and mint, mint don't mix. Unless oh, it's, man. it's so good. Mm-mm. I'm, I'm. It, the only thing I can partake in is a thin mint. Outside of that, like chocolate and oh, thin mint mints, mint. the Andes mints. So I don't know if you know this, but my uh, yeah you do because my dad's giving yeah. you some. But my dad owns the chocolate store, the Rocky Mountain Rocky chocolate, Mountain store. chocolate. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when he he'd always have the chocolate coming home from work, 
I loved. I always asked for the chocolate mints. Cool. So you can have candy. all my chocolate mints next time he brings candy. There Just ask him to double up on them clusters because them things were amazing. Yep. yep. <laughs> Big shout out to Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. All right. So, Corey, we gave you the lay of the land here. The people want to know, what's your top four in chocolate okay. candy? So my number four would be Hershey um, with the almonds in it. I don't hate that. I don't classic candy bar is is it's good chocolate. I can respect classic. It's always good. It's always the same. It's consistent. The, I like the nuggets. Good. The nuggets are better than the candy bar. The nuggets. What are they like? Kisses. Like so, not the kisses, but they're a little bit bigger than the kisses. It looks like a little ah, it's like a little trapezoid, but it has the almonds in it. I feel like those are better than the actual candy bar. No, I've had that before. I'll put you. I'll put you on. I'll put you on. Don't worry. Get a little mail package. <laughs> uh, the the next one, number three, would be peanut M and M's, which there are delicious. You go. Yeah. That's hard yeah. candy. I don't know about peanut butter M and M's. What's but... wrong with peanut butter? Well, well, first off, why are we? Aren't they just Reese's pieces? No, it's a different. It's a different peanut butter. I mean, okay. okay. Reese's pieces are good too. My number two is Baby Ruth. Hmm. Wow. The peanuts and the chocolate, very delicious. I've had many of those in the in the store before I come back to the car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then number one, which I think should be number one on everybody's list, is a Snickers. I don't hate the Snickers. Though. Snickers, Snickers is solid. I don't. I don't hate Snickers. Like it's on my honorable <laughs> mention. Like if you listen to the show enough. Corey, like we always have honorable mention, and Snickers is one hundred percent on mine. But it's I'm from my mindset. I was thinking like, hey, after we pass out Halloween candy, everything that's left over, what am I reaching for first? And that's how I develop my list. I got you. That's what's up. Also, Corey's rich, y'all. So go trick or treat in his neighborhood because he'll give y'all full candy bars. Go, go get him. <laughs> We turn our lights off. That's the devil's house. <laughs> you know, candy here. Get. <laughs> so, we have Bible study. Let me ask you this. Y'all brought up Reese's, but have either of you ever had a Nutrageous? I've heard of it, but I've never had. Corey, also, I feel Reese's, like you would love a Nut Not Reese's. It's all the same. What's up? Reese's. <laughs> Reese's, but the nutrageous. I feel like you would like Corey because it's similar to a baby roof. It's um, it's like the Reese's um peanut butter with peanuts on it, and then it's chocolate covered. Real okay. solid, real solid. She makes it. I've 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 had a nutrageous. Those are old. I'm a visual guy, so like I had to see it. I I just looked it up and saw the label. Yeah, I I, I recognize that. Another candy bar I like is a uh, a hundred grand. That's not bad. I don't like that. It's not bad. If I, if the Mount Rushmore had five presidents on it, the peanut M&Ms would have been my fifth one. Fair. Snickers would have been my fifth one, no doubt. How I do feel you like, feel? For me, peanut M&Ms is like a new thing from in my life, so I just couldn't go against what I've had my whole entire life. How do you, Corey, how do you feel about like Milky Ways and like chocolate with nougat in it? I don't I like some of them, you know. To be honest, like I'll eat pretty much any candy bar, but 
<laughs> you know, they all just do something different. Milky Way is not my favorite. I mean, if you got one, I'll, I'll eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll enjoy it a little bit, you know, but, uh, you know, it's not my favorite. Listen, keep your Milky Ways far away from me and your three musketeers. Like, I don't want them. Like, stop trying to give me the bullshit candy that you don't want to eat. Give me the good candy. Yeah, <laughs> what about what about Wonka bars, guys? Nobody. Nope. Overrated. Wonka bars are only for the movie. <laughs> it's such a good movie, though. I had to at it, least it give is. It a shout out. It's a good movie. It is. It's a good movie, but it's only for the movie. Is there Corey? Is there any candy that you won't eat? Not really? I mean, I don't like. Uh, I don't like almond joy. I don't, I don't really like uh, coconuts. I don't like, uh, you know, so I don't know. You know, coconut is my major thing. So if it has coconut, ugh, I don't like gotcha. it. Gotcha. Kevin? Any candy I don't eat? Oof. You know, I don't, like, as the older I get, the the more I stay away from the sugary candy. Like the Sour mm-hmm. Patch Kids and the Skittles. Oh, hey, um, hey, 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 hey. Won't be no I, Skittle disrespect on this podcast. No, so I, I like I, they're good, but I just like I just kind of stay away from them. That's but fair. Nonetheless, <laughs> that's fair. Um, before we wrap it up here, Corey, again, we wanted to say that we we appreciate you coming on the show, uh, giving us your time, giving our audience your time to to get to know you. Um, when when we're leaving here, we just want to know: Are there any charitable works that you're doing off the field? Um, and where can our audience find you to help support? Um, so, you know, I do uh, a lot of work over with South Point Elementary School. Um, you know, it's a school over in South Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the process of trying to collect books for their library. So anybody that wants to do me a solid, um, feel free to donate any books that you may have. Um, it's an elementary school, so K through 5. Um, and you know, whatever you have, you can send it directly to the school. Um, and I certainly appreciate that. Um, also I do, um, some camps for linemen. Um, those are coming up in May. Um, you should do one in Arizona, one in Kentucky as well. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, anybody wants that wants to, uh, potentially be a sponsor for that. Um, you can reach out to me on, Instagram or Twitter. That's about it. When when are your camps taking place this this year? I think that might be something we we may need to venture up to to Kentucky to be a part of. Um, I haven't set the date for the one in Kentucky. Um, so, but as soon as I uh, I do, I'll make sure I let y'all know. Yeah, let us know because um, if you need any volunteers or anything like that, um, we can come up and help out and by all means uh, participate or even just be visitors. So, Corey, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a teacher as well. And um, so is there any way we can get a, into contact with the schools or a specific website or anything we can get to South Point Elementary? I know you mentioned the book fair, but how do we physically – who do or who do we contact to get these books to the school? Okay, you can, you can call the school directly at 602-276-1943. Um, and you also can just mail the books to 2033 East Southern Avenue. Phoenix, Arizona, eight five zero four zero. And then, if you have any questions, you feel free to email Dolores Jones Bell, um, and her email is Dolores 
dot Jones hyphen Bell at leonagroup.com. How you spell okay. Leona? <laughs> L-E-O-N-A. So we'll put that information in the uh, in the in description. The description. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll we'll put that information in the description for the podcast, and we'll put that on social media as well. So uh, good for you, man, for uh, giving back to your community and uh, kind of paying it forward for your kids. No doubt. Appreciate you. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on to the podcast. Uh, you know, it's been a blast hanging out with you for the past hour. Um, getting to talk to you and you sharing your story. So we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, man, it's been a good time, man. Anytime. <laughs> so uh, for all you listeners, please rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening tonight. Um, hope you guys enjoyed Corey Peters' defensive tackle from the Arizona Cardinals and his stories with the NFL Combine. Hope you all had a great night. Thanks for tuning in. See you.